So we've been working through the book of Ephesians on Sunday morning, and um, uh, as we do this, I want to just once again, again give a little bit of introduction, which is going to be very important as we get into the second part of, of this book. But you'll remember that Ephesus, there on the map, is in the area that was known in that time as Asia. We would know it as modern-day Turkey. And uh, we put Jerusalem down on the, the bottom of the right, and the reason for that is to just once again give a, a visual here. They didn't have the crossover as far as people coming from one culture to another in that day as we do today. There were no cell phones, internet, TV, none of that. So the, the Ephesian church was primarily, not exclusively, but primarily from a Gentile pagan background. There was only a few Jewish people who had some form of a Bible background in the church. So Paul shows up in Ephesus on a missionary journey, and he begins to teach about a God who is very different than the gods that they had been told of before. So for instance, as you've heard us say before, but the main God in Ephesus, there were more, but the main God was the goddess Artemis, also known as Diana. And uh, she's always portrayed with a bow and an arrow and a crescent moon. It looks like horns, but it's actually a crescent moon. And, and she was the goddess of fertility, sexual fulfillment, long life, and seduction. And the worship of her was very erotic, very, very pagan, we would say. And, and so Artemis and the, the pagan gods, they didn't really care about the people. It was a relationship of appeasement. So you, you would go and you would sacrifice and pray and pay and do what you could to hopefully get a prayer answered, but uh, it, it, it was just, there wasn't really a love relationship. They, they certainly didn't see you as part of their family in any way, so you just went there and you, you did your thing and then you, you left. And so because of that, because of the, these pagan gods, there, there was no instruction on how to live life, how to do family, how to do marriage, how to, how to parent. That wasn't even part of their thinking. You just went there, did your sacrifice, and then went on your way. So Paul shows up, and he begins to talk about a very different God. And the God that he talked about was a God who saw his people as his children. And he loved his children, and he wanted to bless his children, and he wanted to, wanted to be part of their daily lives. So in chapter one of Ephesians, as we've seen so many times before, this God wants to bless his children unlike the pagan gods. So chapter one, verse three, Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. This is very different. This God wants to bless. Uh, the other gods had to be appeased. And also very different than the pagan gods. Go down to verse seven and it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to, and hopefully you've underlined the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. So unlike the pagan gods, when you did something that would upset them, you just expected a lightning bolt, you expected an earthquake, a tidal wave, something like that. But this God that Paul talked about loved his children and he knew that there were gonna be times when you would mess up and so he chose on the front end not to send a lightning bolt but to lavish you with his grace. So it's very different than the pagan gods. So we worked our way through the first three chapters and you wanna to turn to chapter four. In the first three chapters, you'll recall 
that Paul lays out a theological foundation. And uh, then he comes to chapter four, which we've been working our way through over the last few weeks. And chapter four begins the practical application. So in chapter four, verse one, just to show you the practical application, chapter four, verse one, he says, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And so when we started this, we we mentioned how the rest of this book is about how we walk, how we live out our faith. And so the first part of the chapter, he dealt with how do we live this out in relation to one another as believers. Then he talked about spiritual gifts, so we took some time and looked at that. But today, we're going to look at something uh, as, as we go further into this, and it's going to be the difference between the unbelievers and, and believers, Christians and non-Christians, pagans and those who would follow the Lord. And so in this, as we get into this, one other thing I just want to tell you on the top of your outline, um, we're going to do the condensed version in this chapter, but if you want to read the expanded version, that's in Romans chapter one. It's a much more expanded version of what we're going to look at today. So the rest of this book, as Paul gets into these verses, the rest of the book will be to expound on what it is that he's saying right here. What we're going to see today as we go is a progression of how the non-believer and the believer actually go in two different directions, at least we're supposed to. Now, as we get into this, we're going to see the progression of the the unbelievers. We'll see the progression of the world. And uh, sadly, what we're going to see is the progression of our country, where it started and where it's going. So if you're over 50 years old today, you'll get this. How many of you are over 50 years of age? Good. Now, how many of us are over 50 years of age and still very good looking? Let me see the, (laughs) absolutely, that's us. That's our story and I'm sticking to it. Isn't it amazing how the years go by, but we just get better looking. So we're also going to see that although there's a warning in this, Paul says this is a very strong warning, but there's no indication that the Ephesians were actually going in the wrong direction. He's just giving a warning to them. So you want to keep that in mind. And the good news is as we get into this progression, Paul's not going to just uh, leave us with the bad news uh, going in that direction. He's going to say, well, we need to go in, in this direction. So I'm going to read verses 17 through 24. I don't typically read this much, but as we do this, it's going to come down to our thinking. So what you want to do, the thinking of the believer and the thinking of the non-believer. So we're going to highlight all the times that it references our thinking in various ways. So verse 17, he says, so this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk, there's that word walk, no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, they're going in a very different direction, in the futility of their mind, mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their heart. We'll talk about that. Having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness, but you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him, and you've been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, 
and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So there, there's a lot in there. I'm going to break this down, but just know that, that you can break this down a whole lot further than we're going to do today. I wanna to give you just enough that you get the flow and then you can dig a little bit deeper. Verse 17, he says, so this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you no longer walk just as the Gentiles also walk. So in this passage here today, the Gentiles will refer to the unsaved, the non-believer, uh, however you'd want, you'd want to say that. Now, as I say that, you wanna remember that just about everybody in this church is a Gentile. Uh, they, weren't, they didn't come from a Jewish background. So he's not talking about them um, ethnically, he's talking morally. So we're gonna find that there's a very different moral uh, behavior. And so there's a, there's a difference. Now in this, again, there on your outline, uh, Paul emphasizes how believers and unbelievers think different. I probably should have said differently, but I, my, either way. Is it different or differently? Differently? So fill that in. <laughs> so the emphasis there is on the mind. It's mentioned a couple times, understanding, learned Christ. Uh, but the idea is that believers and unbelievers think differently. At least we're, we're supposed to. So what we're going to see today as we get into this, first, first of all, we're gonna see a progression, uh, a progression of where it goes. So you have the Gentiles are non-believers on one side. They're not part of the body of Christ. And uh, Paul's gonna talk about that. So verse 17, he says, so this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk. We're not gonna go in that direction, another direction, in the futility of their mind. So I've underlined futility of their mind. And being darkened in their understanding, darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their heart. So the first thing that we notice is that um, there, there's a futility because of darkness. And I want you to write that down. So the, the Gentiles, the non-believers, have this futility because of darkness. Now, as I read that, some of your Bibles didn't say futility. It said vanity or something like that. I won't try to pronounce the Greek word, but it means what is devoid of truth and appropriateness, truth and appropriateness. So the, the reason that they're so darkened is because they actually think that they are enlightened. And they reject the Bible and they reject the God of the Bible thinking that they're enlightened and they embrace whatever new philosophy comes along. So again, the expanded version of this would be found in Romans chapter one. So let me just read one verse and it says, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile. You wanna underline that. In their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. The, the idea is they became fools over time. This didn't happen overnight, but over, over time. And so the, the life of the Gentile ultimately is futile. Their thinking is futile, it's meaningless because they don't have the light in them to actually give them the direction. There's, there's knowledge, but there's not really wisdom. So in one sense, uh, they, they think they're enlightened before God, or they think they're enlightened, but God says, no, you're, you're really in darkness, you're in darkness. And uh, light was always a universal symbol for understanding. And so they're, 
They're futile in their understanding darkness because whatever the end holds for them, it's gonna be a life that's separated from God. It's gonna be separated. So that's, that's the starting point. So, so why is that? Well, according to Paul, write this down and we'll unpack it. Their condition is going to be to a um, willful ignorance, a willful ignorance. So verse 18, he says, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their heart. So, so here, this word ignorance, if you go to Vine's commentary, they make a special note, or Vine's uh, dictionary, it makes a special note on this word. And there it says ignorance, uses the Greek word there, here including the idea of willful blindness. And then a note, this is C. Romans 128. We'll look at that in a minute. This is not the ignorance which mitigates guilt. Sometimes, you know, we don't know, we just don't know, and, and we're not really held responsible. But this is a willful ignorance that we're talking about here. So in Romans chapter one, again, the expanded version, it will say this. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. So the, the idea, it's not that truth isn't there, it's just that they don't want it. They, they don't want the truth. This, this uh, willful ignorance causes them to be given over, he says, to a darkened mind, a depraved mind. They're gonna be willfully ignorant. So let me just give you one little example. Um, if, if you're like me, I grew up in the, in the public school and uh, we were told that everything came into existence uh, through a certain way. So... Uh, most hold that nothing created everything out of nothing. We as believers hold that God created everything out of nothing. And so we look to scientists. So some scientists tell us of a certain uh, discipline in science. They tell us that the sun loses 10,200,000 tons of mass every second. The sun is enormous, so uh, you don't really feel it over a day, a month, a year. But what that means is if you go back a thousand years, the sun would have lost 1% of its mass, 1% of its mass. If you go back 6,000 years to the time of creation, then you find that the sun is about 6% larger than it is today, which, which is not that big of a deal. However, if you go back 100,000 years, now you find that the sun is now twice the size that it is right now. Just the gravitational pull of the sun alone would have made all life on the earth uh, uh, you know, uninhabitable, or worse than that, it would, just, it would have just sucked us into the sun. But if you go back 100,000, or 100,000 years would be twice the size. But if you go back 200 million years at that, at that reduction, it would tell us that the sun would be so large, it's literally touching the earth. So, so that one detail uh, proves that the earth was not here 100,000 years ago. And it's scientists who tell us that but you see, that little detail doesn't fit their theory, so they never tell you that. They don't deal with that. Does that make sense? So it's a willful ignorance. It's not that the information isn't there, but it doesn't fit what they wanna say, so they just don't deal with it. 
So that's what, what, what he's talking about there. So you go on from there, and uh, where does that lead? Well, if you have this willful ignorance, what's the next step? Well, verse 18, it says, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness, hardness of their heart. So this willful ignorance is going to lead to what we're gonna call a hardness of heart. There on your outline, hardness of heart. Hardness, the word is porosis, we'll talk about that. And heart is cardia, and we all know, we all know about that. So just so we know, we're talking about the emotions and, and that's where, where that word comes from. So the word hardness there on your outline is porosis. And it means blindness. So if you have the King James, it'll say the blindness of heart. Um, but most of your translations will say hardness of heart. And it comes from the word poro, which means a kind of stone or to petrify, something that happens over time. And so if you were to look, say, at Swindoll's commentary, which is awesome, uh, there on your outline it says, the Greek word translated hardness is porosis, which indicates a stony, petrified condition. So, so picture a tree, once it was growing, and, and then it stopped, it dies, and over time, it becomes petrified, it becomes stone. And uh, the same thing happens with you and I as people, is that we don't want to deal with the truth or the facts because sometimes they're inconvenient for what we want to believe. And so what we do is we reject, we reject, we reject, and our heart becomes literally petrified before the Lord. It becomes like stone. But here's what we get from this. Hardness of heart, porosis of cardia. The darkness is due to, and you wanna write this down, it's a heart problem. It's a heart problem. It's not an intellectual problem, it's a heart problem because the facts are there, the facts are always there. So where does that wind up? I mean, what's the next step after that? And, and think of our country as, as we get into this, but uh, very interesting, uh, verse 18, I'm gonna read verses 18 and 19. He says, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance, we'd say willful ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, having become callous over time, have given themselves over to sensuality. I think some of your Bibles will say lasciviousness. Either way, you wanna underline that. For the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. And we'll talk about that word greediness. So when, when he says uh, what we're going to find here is this is gonna be dealing with things that manifest sexually. So we're gonna talk about sexual sins. But uh, this, um, this will manifest, write this down, as a sin-filled life, a sin-filled life. So it, it says uh, this hardness of their heart ultimately will be manifested in a sin-filled life. And in verse 19, he says, they having become callous, having become. So it's something that happens over time. So I put that there on your outline. Uh, three different ways that this is translated. All of them are great. Over time, the New American, my translation will say, they became callous, they become callous. Now, if you have the NIV, I think it captures it more closely. It says, lost all sensitivity. They've lost all sensitivity. But if you have the King James, it will say, being past feeling, being past feeling. So they're so callous, they're so past feeling 
um, that they can't even feel it anymore. So the Holy Spirit speaking to them, they're so callous that they, 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 can't, even he, they can't even hear it or, or feel it. They're just beyond that. So what do they do? Well, there it says they give themselves over, and my Bible says to sensuality. Sensuality. Again, this is speaking of the, the Gentile, the non-believers, and they're in Ephesus. Now, sometimes a word in, in one language, when you try to translate it, uh, you, you do your best, but sometimes the word is bigger or smaller. So you have to look at the original language. So here, this word sensuality, they've given themselves over to sensuality. Um, other translations would say lascivious, and it's there in your outline. And I just want to highlight there that the Greek word we'll talk about that is eselgia, but it just means unbridled lust, excess, licentiousness, lasciviousness, wantonness, outrageousness, outrageousness, shamelessness, shamelessness, and insolence. The idea is that this sensuality is something that's in your face. You know, it's just right there in your face and they don't care. So there in your outline, having lost all sensitivity, they will flaunt their sin. They'll flaunt their sin. That's probably the best way of saying that. So Barclay's commentary, and I felt it was important to put this here, uh, there in your outline, it says, the man who has a selgia in his soul does not care how much he shocks public opinion so long as he can gratify his desires. So if it's offensive to you, it doesn't matter. I get to do my thing and it's gonna be in your face. So the idea of this, uh, this word here is a, a moral level that is sunk so low that just, it's just gonna be in your face. So having become so totally insensitive to right or wrong, we would say, any man or woman in this condition is, lives a wild life without any decency, shame, or thought of repercussions. So we're gonna say flaunted sins. Um, in our culture, there are some sins that they're not flaunted. They're not in your face. They don't demand you celebrate them. They don't demand that you accept them. They're not flaunted. So you, for that, you've probably never been invited to or participated in a purse snatcher's pride parade. You've probably never been to something like that because that sin is not flaunted in your face. It does not demand your acceptance and your participation and it does not demand your celebration. But some sins do. So because some sins aren't flaunted, uh, it's more than likely that you've never been invited to an adultery pride parade. Because see, some sins are not celebrated, they're not in your face, they don't demand your acceptance or your celebration. But some sins do, some sins do. So you have this uh, willful ignorance, there's the rejection, and there becomes then that hardened heart, and then there is sin that is just flaunted, flaunted, it's in your face, demanding you accept it, demanding your celebration. So where does it go from there? Well, in verse 19, we notice it says, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind, every kind of impurity with greediness. We'll talk about greediness in a minute. But the word there, and you wanna write this down, the next step is every kind of impurity. 
every kind of impurity. If you have the King James, it will say every kind of uncleanness. And that word, a catharsia, means impurity physically or, or morally is the idea. So there's a progression. There's this progression. It starts off with rejecting, embracing the philosophy, not really dealing with the facts because the facts don't really fit our agenda. And then our heart becomes callous. And so then we're given over to the sensuality that's flaunted in our face. And then the next step is every kind, every kind. In our family, we have uh, three 10-year-olds. And uh, it's very interesting that when you think of 10-year-olds, but there's a, a move in our country right now that although your 10-year-old isn't old enough to vote, to drive a car, to shoot a gun, to buy alcohol, or to buy cigarettes, they can't even be given an aspirin at school without your parental consent. But there is a move in our country, which is the next step, uh, that they're told that they're now old enough to decide permanently what their gender is. And then there is a move that says that we should, if the child wants, we should be able to chemically or surgically castrate that child to turn them into the uh, gender that they believe that they have right now, that they're, they're supposed to be. That's where it goes. It's just the next step. Well, let me just say, in case you're wondering, uh, surgery does not actually change your gender. Uh, your DNA tells you what your gender, gender is. But here's, thank you, I wasn't, I wasn't looking for that, but always feel free. But, but, but guys, it's the progression, it's the progression. And, and it starts with willful ignorance. You don't wanna deal with these facts because they're inconvenient and it's gonna have you to have to deal with something else. And then it goes to the flaunting sin and then it just goes to every kind of uncleanness. Well, where does it lead? Well, verse 19, it takes the next step. And uh, here's what ultimately happens. It says, they having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Now, my Bible says with greediness, which is fine. But the, the NIV actually captures what it's really saying. And the NIV says this there in your outline, a continual lust for more. Continue less for more. So what it leads to, and you want to write this down, is a never satisfied lust. It doesn't end with castrating 10-year-olds. That's just the next step. There's going to be another step beyond that. It just gets worse and worse and worse. So it never ends. So here's the end result according to God. And he says, here's the sad part. The end result, they're excluded from the life of God but it started somewhere and it just a progression. And Paul lays that out. That was the condition that the Ephesians were in when Paul came to Ephesus. They were thoroughly pagan. And so he began to give them the gospel and teach them of a very different God. So although Paul's words here uh, refer primarily to unbelievers the fact that he says that we're no longer to walk as the Gentiles implies that even those of us who would be professing to be Christians, believers, if we're not careful, we might find ourselves going down that progression, maybe becoming uh, willfully ignorant, uh, possibly hardening our heart, not realizing that we're becoming more and more darkened in our understanding. 
So the message here is we don't go this way, we go a completely different way, and that's the point. Now he's gonna say, that's the unbelievers, that's the Gentiles. However, you as believers, this, this is how we are to go. And so as we read this, I want you to pay attention to the you, 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 your, as he speaks to you and I as believers. So verse 20, but you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. The Gentiles say truth isn't in Jesus. God says it is. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. It just keeps on going. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, not the old self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So there's a couple of things uh, I'm gonna say here, but this is gonna be the launching point for what we're gonna talk about next week. So a, a few things. First of all, in verse 20, he says, but you did not learn Christ in this way. It doesn't matter what commentary you read, they will all say the same thing on this. Every commentary will make the point to say, he doesn't say you didn't learn about Christ, he says you didn't learn Christ in this way because it's possible to learn about him and have a great number of facts and information and still be lost, unsaved, not in a relationship with him. So this is learning Christ. The word learn there is manthano. It means to learn by use and practice. Use and practice. So here when he talks about learning Christ, it, it refers to a personal relationship. So I like to say it like this there on your outline. I learn Christ through personal fellowship with him. I learned through its personal relation. It's a personal relationship. It's a growing relationship. Probably the, the best way for me to explain this is Cheryl and I, uh, we've been married now for almost 26 years. Next month's gonna be 26 years. And before we got married, we were best friends. We were best friends. And, and um, pretty much that, that has never changed. So for me, the, what I've noticed in our relationship is I get up very early in the morning and um, I'll get my coffee and I go and I have my, my time with the Lord. And that a little after that, Cheryl gets up and then uh, she gets her coffee and she always walks in and she, she says hi and then she sits down and we just start talking. We just talk. And um, so we do that and then we have to get the kids up and get them going and then we'll either read or we'll work out, work out whatever we're doing that morning. And uh, then I'm getting ready for work and she comes in and we just talk. We're just talking. And then I come to work, and so uh, she, when you have as many kids as we have, you know, there's always something going on. So there's this constant texting back and forth, and, and there's phone calls back and forth, and then she comes into the office, and so, you know, we, we just talk. And then, then I go home at the end of the day, and this has been this way for 26 years. Uh, you know, we're getting the kids ready for bed, getting them all set up and spending time with them. But at a certain point, we just go into the bedroom, we sit down on the bed, and we just talk. We just talk. Now, one of the things about us, we've never watched TV. Uh, we, so there's no shows that we've ever watched. It just, it's just, we, we don't. And so you wonder, what do we do? Well, I will tell you this, we have 12 kids. And so <laughs> we have figured out what to do with the time. But, 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 but the point is, we just talk all the time. So, so here's what this means. After 26 years, I know what she's thinking. 
I, I know what she's feeling. I know the things that, that make her mad. And I know the things that make her glad. I, and I can, I can tell what she's, you know, I just know what's going on because we've just spent so much time with one another. I don't know about her. I know her. And we know each other very well. It's a, it's a growing relationship. Well, that relationship is to be the picture of our relationship with him. It's a growing, personal, one-on-one relationship that we have with him. Not just about him, but we need to have that relationship with him that's growing ever deeper. So does that make sense? So he uses that, and then he talks about the, the next illustration that he's going to use is, uh, so oh, let, me, let, me, let me say this. So, so there in this relationship, there's learn Christ, heard him, and taught him. When it says heard him, uh, when you said yes to Jesus, it doesn't matter if it was the lady next door that led you to Jesus. It doesn't matter if it was the pastor. Uh, when you said yes, it was because you heard him. You heard him. And, and so when you heard him, then he began to teach you. You were now taught in him. So in this relationship, you want to write down that Jesus is the teacher and the subject. He's the teacher and the subject. So he wants us to learn him in an ever-deepening way. Then Paul uses the illustration of putting on clothing, taking off clothing, and putting on some new clothing. So verse 22, he says, that in reference to your former manner of life, everything that was going on in Ephesus, all the stuff that we talked about, you lay aside the old self, and here's why, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. And you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Next week, we're going to talk about being renewed in the spirit of our mind. What does that mean? How does that happen? And you put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So he is calling us to have a change. And you want to write this down into a different kind of conduct and identity. So we want to lay off the entire old self and put on the new self. So there in your outline, laying aside the old self, which has this never-ending corruption. It never gets better, it never gets good. And then renewed in the spirit of your mind. By the way, that word spirit can also be translated as attitude. We'll talk about that next week. And then he says, and put on the new self. Put on the new self. Which is an interesting word. Uh, Put on as induo. It means in the sense, and I love this, of sinking into a garment. We sink into a garment. Uh, you can put clothes or put on, but it means to sink into a garment. I like the, uh, it means to immerse yourself in it. You just go in it. You've taken off the old and you've immersed yourself in it. And we'll pick that up next week. But here, here's what I'm gonna say on, on that as we come to a close. Um, as believers, if we're not careful, we might be immersing ourselves in something other than Jesus. And so the idea as we go forward, as we put off the old self, we want to put on, immerse ourselves in him. Sometimes we can miss the immersing of ourselves in him because we're immersing ourselves in other things. Maybe we are immersing ourselves in the news of the day and we're just consumed with it continuously. And I I believe it's important to be caught up, but I don't want to be immersed in that. I want to be immersed in Jesus. I think if we're not careful, we can be immersed in politics. 
I want to be aware. I participate. Uh, it's no secret that I truly am a right-wing, conservative, evangelical, fundamental, gun-toting, full-on prepper. Outside of that, I'm very open-minded. But, but here's the thing. Be that as it may, I don't want to be immersed in that. I want to be immersed in Jesus. So I want to be aware. I'll participate but I'm gonna be immersed in Jesus. And that's what he's calling us to do. And if we're not careful, we might miss him uh, immersing ourselves in the wrong thing. So participate, be aware, but immerse yourself in him. Next week, we'll pick up when he talks about renewing yourself in the spirit of your mind. How does that happen? What do we do? And then we'll begin working through the rest of the chapter. So as we close today, if, if I could just say one thing as we close this is a warning to, it's a, it's a picture of the unbeliever, but it's a warning, it's a warning. If we're not careful, we might find ourselves uh, going in another direction over time, becoming more and more hardened to the Holy Spirit, becoming more and more darkened in our understanding. Not that we're losing our salvation, but we're becoming less and less effective for him as we go. And we might find ourselves, if we're not careful, immersing ourselves and something other than Jesus. And that uh, we have a relationship or a, a religion of faith that kind of looks Christian, but Christianity is where we immerse ourselves in him. We're aware of other things, we participate, but I immerse myself in him. And uh, we don't wanna be deceived about that. We'll pick it up there next week. Make sense? Good, good, good. All right, well, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, as we wrap this up today, I thank you for this congregation their love for you, their love for your word, their love for your spirit, their love for the things of God. I pray, God, that as we go forward, that we would be aware, not darkened in our understanding, not becoming hardened in our heart, winding up in a place that we really don't need to be, but finding ourselves being renewed, immersing ourselves in you, being the people of God that you've called us to be. I pray, God, that you keep each and every one of us until we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.